Hey gorgeous, welcome to this week's podcast. So today I have something a little bit different and it's an intro before the intro. And the reason why is because this week's podcast is a little bit different um, than the other week's podcast in the past and I think the one next week's a little bit different too. And um, so... And I'm almost not quite sure how to say this, but in a lot of the other podcasts and episodes, you know, we listen to our queens that come on the show and they share with us a struggle that they've been through and how they've come out the other side. And that is very similar to this week's podcast. You will hear that and this queen's story for sure, but in certain aspects of her journey sort of reflects mine and that she's still in it so that she still has her struggles there's still things you know day to day that she's trying to to sort of find her way and figure out like how do I manage this new life that I'm in now and I can 120% identify with that you know and just being in that place and so I want to seriously say she's come out of her journey but in a way she's still walking in it and I wanted to share the story with you um one because I think it's a great way to raise awareness about your body and advocacy and, you know, fighting for your body and not giving up hope and resilience. Um, but two, like not everything is going to be a fairy tale or a fairy, fairy book ending. And when I say at, you know, end of every podcast, make life beautiful and be your own definition of beautiful. Um, I say it for a lot of reasons, and one of the reasons I say it is because I personally have seen so much pain, but one thing I will say is that pain puts everything into perspective, um, and so I'm all about adding in the champagne and roses wherever and whenever you can, because there's aspects of life that hurt so bad, so in those moments that you can laugh, laugh with joy, you know, dance in public, <laughs> do a cartwheel, <laughs> have an ice cream cone, like really don't take life serious. Just make, I did a recent Instagram post, we're all going to have a tombstone and have a day that we're born and a day that we end. So make sure that you live that dash out loud and you know, with as much passion as you can. So to be completely transparent with you, initially when I listened to the episode, um, because I, I, I listened to it a few times before I released it and I felt sad. I was really sad and, um, just a little bit down because I wanted to go in and fix everything for this queen and, and I can't fix everything. And I know she doesn't expect anyone to, and, but it's just, I want to live in a world of ice cream and peaches and roses. And I know that's not realistic, um, but I want to live in that world. And that's part of why I created that podcast is because hopefully I'm hoping that as we hear each other's stories, we're realizing that we don't stand alone. And one more personal story before we get to the podcast interview that I hope really sums, sort of sums up everything. Um, so is what happened to me this Friday. So every Friday is I have a breakdown Friday and I won't go into too many details about it, um, but it is exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> and I, whether it's 15 minutes, whether it's three hours, sometimes it's all night long, but I just, 
I let myself be me. Like I let myself be broken. I know that's this is a whole different episode altogether. Um, but but I let myself have that. And I'm normally sipping on some sparkling wine. I have that Verdi Italian wine that I, I actually actually drinking a few episodes in the private episodes. Highly recommend it. It's only like I think six ninety nine a bottle or something. But yes, it is very very good. <laughs> when I went to get it, the woman at the liquor store she was like, "Yeah, people buy this all the time," and now I know why because it's V E. Well, I think I actually have the bottle right here. In case anyone's interested, is V E R D O I. So maybe Verde or something like that. But it's from Italy and it's very light and yeah, sweet. And I just love it. Um, but I sip on that. I'm worn and I wear a tiara. More to this tiara story later. Um, but this past Friday, I went into work without a tiara. And my girlfriend Stephanie was like, where's your tiara? It's tiara Fridays. And I said, you know, I'm just too sad to wear a tiara today. And I it was. I was just too depressed to put up my tiara. And I just sort of like, like, you know, you're just moving through the steps, but you're not actually there. <laughs> you're just, just like physically there. But that's about it. And, you know, she didn't, she, she looked, looked sad for a moment and she gave me a hug and then like we went around, our, run about our work day. And then later in the morning, she and um, Tidy Lemon up front of the store and they have a smile on their face and like, hey, what's going on? And she hands me a tiara and she said, I know you came in without your tiara today, so I bought you one. And the moment she put the tear on, I just started sparkling. And Stephanie was like, there's just sparkle like everywhere just because I lit up. And I think, not I think, I know this is what I would love for this podcast to be about is about us having each other, about us helping each other put on our own tiaras, um, and about us standing any each other's strengths, but also is next to each next to each other and our brokenness as well. And I think that's something as women that we don't often talk about. Um, so, you know, and we all have those women that that help to put our tiaras on. And like as you were here in this interview for our queen today, it was her daughter. For me on Friday, you know, it was it was. Stephanie, it was Taya, it was Megan. I like literally texted Megan at six a.m. in the morning having a breakdown, and she like came through and and sort of saved the day. But at sometimes, at some portions, it's gonna be ourselves. <laughs> like, and there's also been moments where I felt completely alone, um, and you feel like you're in a desert. But I'm like, if they're, if they're I'm gonna be staying in the desert, it may as well be full of pink diamonds. And that's why I always include a pink diamond section in the podcast. Um, because there's going to be moments in your life when you look around and sometimes you will have a crowd of people around you and other times you will have you. But even at those times when what you have is you, I want you to know that you having you is the strongest thing, the most beautiful thing, the sexiest thing in like in the world. And when God made you, you saw you as complete and he never, ever saw you as broken. So I, I literally spend time, 10 minutes every single day, just talking to myself in the morning because, you know, um, as Julian, I don't know her last name, but um, how she was dancing in the store, I said like, sometimes you have to go back and that little girl, like she's still inside of you, that little girl that maybe like 
didn't have love that she needed or she was alone. Like she's still there, but this time you're here to show her that love. So take that time to hug the little girl inside. If you like take that time to coach yourself, like a lot of, when I used to do personal training, a lot of people would be talking about like, oh, you know, it's so nice to have a trainer, but we all have our own trainer because we all have ourselves. So even if all you have is yourself right now, you're okay. Like you're complete as you are. That's such a powerful thing to have as you. And I believe in God, so I look. So I believe that when you're in the oasis, you're also surrounded by angels as well. Um, but let's help each other as sisters. Let's help each other as queens. Put on our own tiaras. And so I hope that's how you take the story. You take the resilience from it, as Oprah says. You take the wounds and they turn into wisdom. Um, and you take it as a story as something to be mindful of what can happen to your health, um, but that you also take it as we all have our journeys and this is one woman's journey. Okay. And so as she opens it up and she's brave to come to the table and share her journey, her aspect of her life, draw up what can you can to strengthen your own journey. That way, some of the tips some of the diamonds you dropped today, maybe one day you can use that to help put on some other woman's to help her adjust her together, just like Stephanie helped to adjust mine. So without further ado, I did not mean to talk for 10 minutes. So we're at nine minutes and about 30 seconds. I did not mean to have such a long intro. So let's go ahead. Let's get the party rolling. But I just want to thank you for being you. Thank you for blessing me. Um, thank you for helping me reach. I think we're almost... I think we've actually crossed the 2000 download link. Um, and please continue to tell your sister friends that way. I want this to spread across the world and not from a selfish point, but from a point when one woman's walking down the street and she sees another woman all done up. She's like, yes, sis, you are showing us off right today. <laughs> like I want us all to glow. So I love you and I'll hear you over in the episode. Hi, gorgeous. Welcome to Fitness and Mimosas, a podcast of girlfriends from around the world who lift up each other, celebrate each other, and embrace our own definition of beautiful. So let's go ahead and put down our kettlebells, slide into a pair of sexy slitters, and have a great time. Welcome to the party! Hi, beautifuls. Welcome to this week's Fitness and Mimosas. Today we have the gorgeous Nikki with us. Welcome to the podcast, beautiful. Thank you. Hello, everybody. <laughs> um, Nikki and I, we met in a rather interesting way. And after listening to last week's podcast interview with Katie, you're going to wonder just what CPR course I was at. <laughs> but I also met Nikki at the CPR course as well um, that I took a couple weeks ago. And she was one of the instructors there. And we're going through the proper policies and the steps, you know, like a traditional course. And then Nikki came up front and she shared her personal story about what happened to her. And when she got up to share, share her story, like, girl, I'm telling you, the whole room was quiet. And it just it just had a different <laughs> energy. It did. Like, everything just sort of shifted. And everyone's like, wow, like, this is not I'm just not a pamphlet or stuff for, like, practicing. Like, this is real life. Um, no, none of us could imagine like what she was going to say before she got up there, especially if you could see her, like she's gorgeous, fit, healthy. You would no idea the story that she has. Um, so I asked her if she'd be willing to come to the podcast and join us at the fitness and table. 
So welcome, beautiful. So great to have you here. Thank you so very much. I'm glad you asked me. Yeah, I'm always like about sisterhood and standing together as queens. You know, that's that's so, so important. Um, would you yes, mind? It is. It is. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit about the story that you shared at the CPR course? Yeah, um, absolutely. I am I am a two time stroke survivor and open heart survivor. Mm-hmm. Um when I was forty five years old a few years ago, um, I had started, you know, feeling kinda sick. Yeah. Couldn't, doctors couldn't put their hands on it. He just kept thinking I was just having um respiratory issues and um a sinus infection. Mm-hmm. And this started in January of 2015. So that continued on, off and on. You know how you get medicine. You take yeah. the medicine and it don't really, you feel like it don't clear it up and then you're back there again. Yeah. So that went off and on. That went off and on till I was at work and started feeling funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like I was had um like allergic reaction and um to something. So I was like, I asked my daughter, I said, Do you have any Benadryl with you? And she was like, No. So I said, Dad, you used to keep Benadryl, all kind of stuff with us. But right. like a long story short, I was actually in the middle of having a stroke. That's so crazy. So Yeah. So when we get to the um emergency room We get to the emergency room, the um, head doctor on, on call came to see me. And mind you, I was a very fit, athletic um, person. Um, mm-hmm. I ate well. I worked out almost every day. I actually was like a gym guru for real, honestly. Mm-hmm. If you would see my uh, before and after pictures, you would be like, oh, my God, that is not you. But, um... So he was like, um, you're not having a stroke. You're too young to be having a stroke. Um, you have bail palsy. I'm like, hmm, bail palsy. So me not thinking, even though I know that a stroke, it um, affects like one side of your body, not just uh-huh. your face, because bail palsy affects, affects just your face. Even though mentally I knew that, but at that time, it's like I couldn't comprehend it. Well, you don't think, like, oh, this is happening to me, you know? Like, I wouldn't. But but it's like I knew I was having a stroke in that bill palsy because literally one side of my body was, was, um, I couldn't hardly move. Mm. So I go home to get on medication. I see my um, primary care, I think, like, the next day. And he immediately looked at me and was like, you have, you, I think you're having a stroke. I'm going to send you right to the neurologist. So I ended up going to a neurologist. And she saw me, same thing. So it dragged on. It dragged on for quite some time with me having all these tests, all these MRIs. I had so many MRIs, it was ridiculous. Um, they could see that I had... The stroke came from my heart. Mm-hmm. They just didn't. They just couldn't see why. Mm-hmm. They just could not see why. So 
once we all got it together, which took months, this is from July all the way to October. Wow, that's a I long time. I finally, yeah, it was. I, I was at I was at a doctor's appointment, um, literally almost every week, every week, and I saw the neurologist every week because they were trying to. Um, they were like, "You're so young. You're so healthy. You don't have any any underlying health issues. Mm. You don't have to have underlying health issues to have a stroke. That's the that's the thing that people, the misconception that people have." Mm. You have to be sick. You have to have diabetes. You have to have high cholesterol. You have to have you have to have those type of things to to um have a stroke, and that's that's not true. Not true at all. So um so um make a long story short, the um cardiologist finally decides to put a camera down my throat and look at my heart all the way around, and. Back in 2008, I was diagnosed with metrovalve valve prolapse syndrome, which a lot of people have. Um, I was in that four percentile that had complications from it, uh-huh. so I had to um, take a daily inhaler to keep my airways open in, in my aortic valve. So basically what that means is your, my aortic valve doesn't open and close properly for the blood to, to flow through my body the way it's supposed to. So mm-hmm. the inhaler is supposed to keep my chambers open. So apparently over the years, um, my aortic valve has been gurgitating blood back through when the flaps wasn't open and closing properly. And every time the little blood was spurt back through, it was landing on the back of my heart. Oh my goodness. So it ended up making a mass on the back of my heart. So eventually, the mass developed a blood clot and broke all the traffic to my brain, and that's how I had the first stroke. So wow. it took them months to figure that out. So once they figured that out, I knew I was going to have some type of heart procedure because, you know, some people that have, like, oh, I had to go in and get a little stent, or I had to go in and get that, and most of that is, like, in and out little stuff. Uh-huh. So that's what I thought I was going to have. Like, you know, knew I was going to have some type of procedure. I wasn't expecting to get a call. And mind you, now we're in November. Mm. Once all my test results came back, uh, the day before Thanksgiving 2015, but that Monday I get a call from um, Sir Dr. Brown, his um, surgical nurse. They want to see me immediately. And I'm like... Okay, it's Thanksgiving. I gotta go to work on um on Thursday. I mean on um Wednesday. Now I was I've been a hairstylist for over thirty years, mm-hmm. so that was my my form of income, my 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 base form of income. Because I'm also I'm also a real estate agent. Um, okay. so I just I do that you know on the side. But she was like, "What time do you have to be at work?" I said, um, 11. She said, well, can you get to the hospital at 8, 8.30? I was like, well, okay. She said, well, no, we, we, we need to see you now. So I called my sister and tell her she comes all the way from Baltimore. Um, come all the way from Baltimore, go with me to this appointment. Mm. And we sit down, the surgeon come in, he started talking, and when he said, 
I need to have open heart emergency surgery. Ugh. At that point, I ain't hear nothing else. It just sounded like womp, 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 womp. Right. Because I, I wasn't calm. I couldn't believe that. It was like, I'm like, huh? Right. I'm like, what you mean open heart, open heart surgery? So they were telling me about my aortic valve uh, and what was going on, and they needed to replace my valve. So I was originally supposed to get a pig valve. Um, so, you know, after he talked and everything, he was like, so when do you want to, um, when do you think you can schedule for surgery? I said, well, can we do it after the holidays? He looked at me and was like, absolutely not. He was like, um, you are lucky to be walking around wow. from July to now. He was like, you need emergency open heart surgery. He said, if tomorrow wasn't Thanksgiving, I will be admitting you right now. Mm. So I looked at my sister, and she was like, "She'll when 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 is the son of y'all can schedule her surgery?" Because I'm still at shock, right? I'm still shocked. So um, that Friday, I had to go in and do all my pre-op work, um, and then I was back at the hospital on Monday morning, having open heart surgery, and scared, terrified to death because. They literally had to take my heart out of my body. And at this point, I'm on life support. Mm. I'm on life support. You know, anytime they remove your heart, you got to be on life support. Yeah. So I'm on life support where they take my heart out. They had to power wash it. They power wash and cleaned it up. Um, they was able to repair my aortic valve. So I still have my own valve, thank God. And they blocked off. Um the main chamber that goes to your brain where most strokes, where, where most um, blood clots travel. So that that right there was a very, very hard and intense recovery. Yeah. Because for three months, three months, I couldn't, you can't push, pull, or lift your hands over your head. I had to carry a heart pillow everywhere I went. And... I had to use it to make sure I didn't, I had to squeeze it to make sure I didn't use my hand. You had to carry a what pillow? It's it's a heart pillow. They give you a heart pillow. Yeah. And everybody signed it at the hospital. Everybody came to see me. They signed it. But it's a big heart. And um, you carry it everywhere you go. um, Because you can't use your hands to push yourself up. If you accidentally uh, move move those um, wires that they attach that breastbone back, they would have to go back in and straighten them up. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so for 12 weeks, I had, um, then I had therapy in-house. They would come to my home. The nurse would come to my home. And then I started having, um, once, once I was, I think, I think once after six weeks after, I was able to go to cardiac rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, so my daughter and my husband, they drove me to my um, my appointments three times a week to have that cardiac rehab. So um, that's about my heart. So wow. now mind you, not working, try to go back to work. I try to go back to work just working two days a week. Um, I'm going to say right around the end of April, 
because it was because I wanted to go after the um the uh, uh um the Easter rush. Mm-hmm. So I was at work. I want to say two months on June the fourth, two thousand sixteen. I had another stroke. Oh my gosh! I had, can you just reinforce yeah. again, like, like how old were you at this point? And I don't know to ask that question, but like how? Because I, because I think there's a misnomer. People hearing your story, you know what I mean? Right. It's, um, how old was I? Forty-five. Forty-five. Yeah, it's so young. I was actually I was getting ready to turn forty-five because okay. I'm getting, I'll be forty. I'll be forty-nine this year, September first. Get it, get it, gorgeous. <laughs> so um so June fourth I had another stroke. Mm. This time I had a hemorrhagic stroke. The first one was an ischemic stroke. Those are the ones that's called where you get the blood clog travels and travels anywhere through your body. Okay. Um the hemorrhagic stroke is like a brain it's like an aneurysm, a brain bleed. So I had a brain of uh, blood versus blood vessel burst almost in the same spot where I had the other stroke. Now this time I'm back again, back and forth to the doctors, seeing them again. They wondering why I done had a different type of stroke. Because usually when you when you have a stroke you're prone to having strokes after that. So they're gonna put you on the blood thinners. Okay. They was like, you're like a special case because most people don't have two different types of strokes. They either have one or the other. Mm. So, in the meantime, my doctor was, where my stroke was, I can't remember the actual name of the part of the brain. Luckily, it wasn't close to my brain because they would have had to cut my head and go in and drain it. And I would have had stitches in my head. But where it was, I had the choice to either do that or let it drop on its own. And I chose let it drop on its own. This was a very long process, which was like really almost a year to where I stayed lethargic. I kept headaches. I had to put earplugs in my ears. I had to wear a mask across my my um my face and my mouth because it um it it did nerve damage to my senses. Mm. So and then I went uh in my right eye I couldn't see out the peripheral. It was um like black and bleary. So, you know, I went through a lot. And then yeah. on the right side of my body, um, I have sensory nerve damage. So then on the right side of my body I get these these deep Nerve pains. It feel like firecrackers going off in my body. Oh my goodness! So, just you know, I'm having being having a stroke, and being a stroke survivor is a um, it's a lifetime of recovery. Yeah. Um, it's always going to be something. It's always going to be some type of residual. I'm lucky to be one of the ones that most of my damage is internal. Mm-hmm. Even though I still do have, like, I can't move some, you know, some of my fingers on my right hand. Um, you know, I do drag my legs sometimes when I'm tired. 
I suffered really a, a lot with um, being lethargic a lot mm-hmm. and um, fatigue, fatigue a lot. So this year, I um, no, what were we in? 2018? No, last year, the end of last year, I started having seizures from my, my strokes. So oh, now sorry. I have um, grand mouth seizures. So those are the seizures that um where you have convulsions. Mm. So you know, I'm just <clears throat> I'm just trying to put it all, put my life all back together. I pray to God every day that, you know, he left me here for a reason. Yeah. So you know, I've been um like I said, I had um started uh last last year around by the beginning of 2017, I had did a um, I did a, a she speaks. Where it was like a circle of women, you know, and I was the the um the speaker there about you know what I was have gone through, and you know a lot of people was like you know you just they look up to me because I'm in the midst of me going through, I'm still telling my story, I'm still yeah. trying to give women and people hope that, you know, it, it, it's, it's light on the other side because um, it has really, it really takes a toll on your mind. Right. And even though you may get better, the mental part of it is where you struggle the most. Can you talk a bit about that? Like in your darkest of moments, what was the light that keeps you going? Um, actually, my daughter. Okay. My daughter is, you know, she keeps me going. Mm-hmm. Um, she was there for me. You know, she took off a year from college to make wow. to take me everywhere if I couldn't drive, get me to all my appointments. You know, make sure I was okay. You know, it it, it was my baby girl. She, she she kept me going, but um, but the thing that's the hardest is when you stuck in the house mm. by yourself, and that's when you, you know, you kind of start to your mind mess with you, and mm. you start spiraling kind of out of control, um, and. I was always scared to go to sleep because I thought I was going to have a, a stroke while I was asleep because the nurse scared me to death while I was in in the hospital. Uh-huh. She was like, oh, you're so beautiful. I know. I'm so glad you didn't have your stroke while you were asleep. So I'm like, why are you saying that? Because what? that's when most people have their stroke that they sleep and they sleep through it. And they they don't get that medicine in them within that three hours. Uh, Those are some of the most people that have the worst strokes and end up more disabled. So when I had my first stroke, I didn't sleep for three days straight. I couldn't even go to I couldn't go to sleep. I was up. up You can't pain. (laughs) I was up making pancakes during the middle of the night. Oh, boy. Couldn't hardly talk. 
you know, it, it was this was a struggle. And, you know, that's when I kind of spiraled out of control the most is when I'm home by myself. Is there anything and that I you... feel like I was struggling with love and I was struggling with losing my career. Uh, you know yeah. what I mean? It, I, yeah. I couldn't go back to what I've been doing for 30 something plus years and I've built up such an amazing clientele. Um, yeah. You know, six figure income and it's gone. Yeah. I didn't choose this, it was snatched from me. Yeah. So that really, really, really depressed me. Yeah. That part really, really depressed me. Oh, and I, I forgot to mention, I also had a loop recorder implanted in my chest. But a loop recorder is it's a heart monitor. Okay. And it monitors my heart 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And um, during the night, between the between midnight and like two in the morning, it was um I had a machine sitting on my on my on my nightstand. So um between twelve and two in the morning, it downloaded all my activities for the day, and it would go to my um my doctor's computer. So uh-huh. I had that in for about two and a half years. And I just recently got it removed. He said I didn't need it anymore. My heart was doing great. Oh, so awesome. I was able to get that taken out. That's awesome. So that was great. Is there anything you yeah. did, like, when you had so many things shift, right? Because it's like you were healthy, working out, doing all this, and then it sort of, like, was taken from you sort of just like that. So is there anything you do to sort of ground mm-hmm. yourself when the depression hits? And that's question one. And the second question is like, how do you hold into your identity and who you are? Or how do you, do you redesign it in a way where it doesn't hurt you further, right? Because like, the mental health is a part of the overall aspect of the physical health as well. Uh, yeah, and emotionally, because I, I still deal with it. Like today I went to a support group today. Mm-hmm. And I think all of us was in there crying. We all broke down crying because this this week this is this week actually has been a very hard week for me because uh-huh. my first stroke was just on July eighth, and that was just two days ago. Oh wow! So last year, last year when the, the first anniversary, well, the first anniversary came up, two thousand sixteen. I took it very hard, yeah, real hard. The days coming up to it, leading up to it, and it seemed like it's only that particular one. I guess because that's the one who that started this whole chain reaction. Yeah. Um, and last year when it happened, um, I literally had a nervous breakdown, and I was in the hospital for ten days. Oh my goodness. Cause I, I just couldn't handle, I couldn't handle dealing with trying to reinvent myself. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then people will ask you, oh my God, what? You don't look like what you've been through. I'm like, okay, what am I supposed to look like? Do I have to be <laughs> limping or have a cane? Yeah. You know, I pull up in a handicap pocket pull up in a handicapped parking space and people look at me like I'm crazy. 
Um, yeah, I'm not. I can't walk more than two hundred feet. You know, I have to take my time. Yeah. You know, you know stuff like that. But um, you know, I'm trying to trying to do what I can to give you know other people support and other people when they hear my story to let them know that they can they can also get through. Yeah. So eventually it's a it's a light at the end of the tunnel. Because right. if I didn't have the family that I have, mm-hmm. the support that I have for my brothers and my sisters mm-hmm. and my nieces and my cousins and everybody who came over here as my caregivers to take care of me, mm-hmm. it was amazing. It was amazing. Even when I was in the hospital having my surgery, one of the nurses um, came to me and was like, I've been working here 35 years. She said, I have never seen that many people in the waiting room for one person. Oh, she said wow. they was coming in with rotation. She said they was rotating back and forth. She said they was taking orders who was going to get. She said they, they had ordered breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Who was going to get pizza? Who was going to get this? They were going to Popeye's. And I was like, didn't nobody take a picture of that? Because I oh, needed wow. that. I said, nobody yeah. thought about taking a picture? I said, because I needed that for my book. Because I'm going to write a book one day. Oh, yeah. You should. Oh, that's powerful. Would you say that was your your secret to like finding your strong, even when you didn't feel like it? Was it all the people around you? Yeah, actually, I'm I'm, I'm being honest. It's actually my sister, Mm -hmm. my brother, Mm -hmm. my niece, and my daughter. If it wasn't for them four, I I can't I can't tell you where I would probably be. Mm. Honestly, my daughter, she's amazing. She even, um, cause she used to be my shampoo assistant, and she worked for another young lady in the salon. So when I had my second stroke, she said, "Mom, I'm gonna go get a, a um, a regular nine to five job so I can help, so mm. I can help with with the bills and take the stress off of you." Yeah. And she was in school for her bachelor's because she already had got her associate's degree. Yeah. My associate took a year. She, her first job interview she got, she put in all these applications. She got a call from DCRA. She went on her interview. Then they called her back for a second interview. Her very first job interview, she got into the government, Department of Regulatory Affairs. Good for her. At 20, yeah, at 22 years old. And wow. they brought her in as a great, listen, they brought her in as a grade eight. So when I was making a big deal about that to, like, you know, my family whatever, she was like, Mom, why do you keep saying that? Why are you why are you making it a big deal about me coming as a grade eight? I said, because it is a big deal. I said, yeah. the average person starts in the government like at a three or a two. Boy, wow, that is a And within her year, before she, before she was even there a year, she was promoted. Go ahead, girl. So, I love it. That's that that's that right there. 
She's yeah. my heart and my strength. Yeah. She's wow. the one who keeps me motivated to keep going. Wow. That's if it wasn't wasn't for baby girl, and I, and I say that's my baby girl. I mean, I got a son too. Don't get me wrong. I have yeah. a son that's twenty eight, but he doesn't live with me. Okay. So it's a difference, you know. It's a difference when you have one that lives with you. Yeah. 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 What advice but, um, do you have for people who, when they navigate the medical system, because it sounds like you had to go through like appointment from appointment through appointment. So how do you navigate the system? Do you have any tips for you know just advocating well, for yourself? That's that's actually a good question because. I had complained so bad about the resources and what you have to go through. Mm-hmm. You have, I said, in one day, one time I had three doctor's appointments, three different places, three different locations. By the time I got home, I'm exhausted because yeah. a stroke, a stroke survivor is already struggling to move. Right. To get around. You know? And I and that and that part kinda of depressed me the most because once you get home, you know, you spiral out of control. So therefore that's when I was like my daughter was like, Mom, I think you need to go see a therapist, really. I think you really do because this is hard for you. Yeah. And I did, I bet you did. And it actually really you know how we all be like, I'm just sitting on We're not going to see no therapist. But I'm so thankful that I did. I really am because it has really, really helped me out a great deal. And I, and then I really like, I actually love the therapist that I have. I was hoping I did when I met her because I said if yeah. I didn't like her, I wasn't going back. Yeah. But, but I actually end up, we end up bonding very, we end up bonding very good. And I'm, um, and now I just, I still go. I go once a month. At first I was going weekly because I really needed it weekly because I was, I was in a deep, deep depression. And then I know how to, I didn't know how to reach out. I didn't know how to, like, and then the thing about it, I hid it from my family mm. so bad. Why do you think because you I was, did it? I didn't want them to see the strong backbone woman that I, well, I'm going to say still am, mm-hmm. lose it and spiral out of control. Because I've always been very independent. Yeah. I've been self-employed since I was 16. I've owned a franchise. You know, I've done a lot. Yeah. Um, real estate. You know, I've done a lot. So... I've always been, I've been always the breadwinner, and I've always been the, you know, the backbone and the go-to person. I took care of my mother and my dad. I took care of my dad until he passed. Um, mm. I, took, I took care of my mom um, until I couldn't take care of her no more, and she had to, um, had we had to eventually put her in a nursing home. Mm. But, you know, it's just, I didn't want them to see me that vulnerable. Yeah. And. Literally, I would I couldn't get out the bed. I could not get out the bed. But before I knew my husband, my daughter was coming home, 
I would get up, get dressed, go downstairs, sit in front of the computer like like I've been downstairs doing stuff all day. Yeah. But literally, I really just got out to see like 15 minutes before y'all walk out the door, walked in the door. Oh my goodness! I now I don't and I know. remember. I, I don't remember what you was about to say. Um, so I don't know if you've ever found yourself in sort of this situation, um, but you know, sometimes when you're sick for a while, people can sort of see the sickness instead of you, like who you are. Like, have you ever felt that way? And what is it that you want people to know about you? Wait a minute, say that, say the first part again. I missed it. Um, so sometimes when you've been sick for a while, and I don't know if this has happened to you, but sometimes when you've been sick for a while, people sometimes they have a hard time understanding that because they're like, "Oh, you look great on the outside, but you know, are but how can you be sick?" Or other times it's sort of the flip switch of that, and they start seeing the sickness instead of seeing who you are as a person. Um, right. have you, have you ever felt that way? And what is it that you want people to know about you if you have? Well, um, actually, yeah, I actually felt both, um, because I've been, it's like every year or something, I was having a setback. I was having a setback. Something else was coming up and people would ask me how I'm doing and I'd be like, oh, I'm good. I'm okay. And my therapist told me. Don't lie. Don't lie to them. Let people know. No, I'm not having a good day today. She was like, let them know. Mm. Because, you know, because then they expect that I'm back to myself and I'm not. Yeah. Then I, I was like, but then I, I was like, but I don't want people to think I'm having no pity parties. She was like, you know, you know what you have been through? Yeah. You are lucky to be here. So if you're not having a bad day, you're not having a bad day. It's okay for you not to have a bad day. Yeah. Excuse me. Wait a minute. Sorry. I'm banging on my door. I don't know. No, you're good. You're good. <laughs> you got some protection over there. <laughs> you got some protection. Yeah. I know before you used to like work out a lot, what do you do or when you're transitioning over, how did you find a release when you weren't able to work out as much? Is there other things that you didn't um, like? Actually, I'm really just getting started back and I'm doing oh, more funny. stretching and Pilates. Yeah. And Pilates. Cause I had actually, um, was being on a different medications and stuff. I actually mm-hmm. went from 135 pounds to um, like 181. Mm-hmm. So when you saw me, I'm down to like 158, I think I am. Oh, that's so Might awesome. Might a few more pounds since then. That's so awesome. I, I've yeah. been thinking a bit. Um, so the world of fitness, you know, as it stands now, it was sort of designed by men. Like if you go back in the history of it. And for men's bodies, and not mm-hmm. saying that woman can't do what a man can, because we can. <laughs> we can polish it off with class. Yeah. But what do you think the fitness industry will look like if women were the founding um, females of fitness instead? Let's say if, like, Beyonce and Eva Longoria and Halle Berry, if they were designed, if they were the ones to design fitness, what do you think the field would look like? Well, 
And it'd be full of fabulous fit women. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> fabulous yeah. fit women. Yes. That's exactly what it'll be. Because I actually, when I be seeing some of the stuff on TV and then they talking about like the apple cider vinegar stuff, I've been doing this stuff since the 90s. Mm-hmm. Since I've had because like, none of this stuff is new to me. Yeah. I was doing this stuff is when I had after I had my kids. Yeah. And my son is twenty eight. My daughter's twenty three. So I've been doing this since Yeah, since actually nineteen ninety to be exact. I love after it. After I had my first child. I love it. What does the word femininity mean to you? Repeat that one more time. What does the word, I always have a hard time saying this word, <laughs> but I've been doing a lot, just sort of research and explain with feminine energy. So what would you say the word femininity means to you? You know, um, I would say that us as women, mm-hmm. we have to have a broader platform for our for for our voice yeah for our voice of reason and why we're so important yeah and that's and that's one of the things that i'm trying to do with um with me having these 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 things that happened to me that have altered my life yeah i'm making that a platform for me, because God left me here three times for three different reasons. Yeah. Um, and I can, and my voice and speak. I do stutter still a little bit. Um, sometimes I lose my concentration right in the middle of what I'm saying. Uh-huh. But I think God left me here for what I'm doing, the purpose now. Um, I tried last year, but I had, you know, a little setback. Like I sit, but yeah. I feel like you know this is it. Cause last year, I didn't get to tell you last year. Um, I joined the National Stroke Association, so I'm an advocate. Um, for there we last year was the first stroke walk here in in DC. Oh. So I had a team. I had a small I had a small team last year. Um. Yeah. And I can send you pictures of that too. Um yeah. and I did like I said I did She Speaks. Um I was actually on a um a radio station and it was um uh what is it called? Me I think it's Me Media what is the name of it? E Media Life, I believe it was. Okay. So I did a um I did that and it was like Facebook Live and, you know, on the um on their website and stuff. Um, I did that, <laughs> and unfortunately, I did. Uh, um, I was on the boo, the front cover of the Bowie Blade last mm-hmm. last year, and I put on my Facebook page, my Instagram page, the um, John McNear from the Capital Gazette. Remember the um, the shooter a couple of weeks ago. Uh huh. He actually died in that in that 
shooting, and he was the one who did my interview. Oh, wow. So that kind of saddened me because me and him were supposed to get together again this summer and do yeah. another interview of my, you know, progress. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's been a it's been a it's been a struggle. That really that really hit me to my heart when um I saw his picture come up on the on the TV. Yeah. So I had to do a post because I, I took took pictures with him. Um, I had to I had to do a post on Instagram or Facebook, you know, thanking him and you know how he made me feel better because I was having a hard time that day when I met with him because my um son's grandmother had just passed. Uh-huh. So I was having a hard day. Yeah, I met with him, and he made you know he made me feel better. But like I said, um, you know, just, we gotta have this platform, and I'm gonna take this, you know, as far as I can take it. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like that's what God left me here for, and me speaking and giving women and men care, care not even men and women, children. Today in our um today in our um group, a young lady named Tamika always comes, but she's a caregiver. Her mm-hmm. daughter at three and a half years old had a stroke. She's mm-hmm. eleven now. She brought her today to the to the um to the support group. Yeah. She comes for support because she's a she's a stroke caregiver. Right. So today she brought her daughter. Actually, they came to the stroke walk. Um, and walked in the stroke walk because I had my own team. I have I, I I get my own team every year. This year I got my own t-shirts made. Um, uh-huh. Last year they gave out t-shirts and I just used their t-shirts, but I got my own shirts made this year. <clears throat> so, so, um, so for the person that's listening to your story and they're saying, this is me, I'm in this situation, what do you want them to know? What do you want to tell them? I would tell them just talk to God. Mm-hmm. Let God be, let God be your motivation and the center of your hope and desires and what you want to accomplish. Because it's a long road, you know. At first, when it first happened to me, I was mad at God. I was mad. Yeah. I couldn't believe he allowed this happen. He let this happen to me. I felt like, you know, I took care of my parents. I took raised care, raised my kids. You know, um, they were right by my parents. You know, I got remarried, and I was like, I felt like this was my time, in my forties, to enjoy life, yeah. and you know, just have you know, have fun. And then here I got hit with being sick. And I'm not going to lie, I was mad. I was mad. I was so mad at God. Yeah. But then I had to realize that he did this for a reason. Mm. And I and I believe this is it. This is this is my platform. And I started off, like I said, just making, doing small um, speaking. Um, then I said, you know what? Let me get my, um, my, um, Instructors, um, CPR certification. Yeah. You know, so I could teach people how to save lives. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't even don't know what to do. Don't even yeah. have the clue of, of what to do. 
if somebody is going to cardiac arrest. Like my nephew, he's still in the hospital. He had a stroke back in April. Oh, good. And he is still in the hospital. He was in a coma for months. He just started opening up his eyes last week. Wow. And that was his, he, that was his first, first and only stroke, and he's younger than me. Wow. Oh, my so God. I try to tell people, stroke don't have no age on it at all. It don't have no health factors. It don't have no age on it. Yeah. Last year, the stroke walk, it was a, it was a big group. They had all these pink T-shirts on them. The little baby there that had a stroke at three days old. Oh, my goodness. A pediatric stroke. Yeah, and a lot of people don't know this. But I put all this type of information on my Instagram page and my Facebook page. I get more response on Instagram uh-huh. on Facebook. Facebook makes me mad. Because if it's ain't like nothing negative or somebody twerking or, you know, something, you, you're, not getting, you're not getting no likes. Oh, that's no, okay. No, I'm like, no, you don't no. have to lock me like me, but if that's the <laughs> only thing you post, I will block your energy. <laughs> I'm like, I'll block you. <laughs> only positivity on my Facebook. <laughs> Where can we um follow you, Gorgeous? What, what is your Instagram, your Facebook, and what's the best way to reach out and contact you and follow your journey? My um my my Facebook name is just Nikki Buckman, and I'm C K I Buckman. Okay. Um, my Instagram is Nico N I C O K B nineteen sixty nine underscore the survivor. Okay. Ooh, thank you, thank you. And then your last question of the day. Well, it's twofold question. So, what advice do you have for your eleven-year-old self, and what advice do you have for your twenty-one-year-old self? Oh, okay. Advice for my eleven-year-old self, mm-hmm. or my eleven-year-old it self, or it can be a compliment. Or it can be a what? Or or it can be a compliment. If you're like, okay, at eleven, she did her thing at eleven. It can be a compliment too. Okay. Um, I want to say at 11, I was kind of shy and standoffish. Mm-hmm. So to my 11-year-old self, that you can be anything that you put your mind to. Yeah. Don't give up. Don't forget up and don't let nobody tell you you can't. Mm. That's beautiful. To my 21-year-old self, so my, at 21, I started having confidence. I was like, you know, I can do it all. Yeah. By the time I got, by the time I got to 21, so um, 21. What can I, what can I say to my 21-year-old self? That you, that you, um, turned out to be a beautiful young woman who quite a few people looked up to. Aww. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, thanks so can, much for coming. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, well, well, thank you for um, letting me tell my story. Well, actually, my story is on, on, um, on the Stroke Association page, web, website, 
they have my story on there. Um, I actually need to go back and edit it now because I do I have seizures now. But um, my story is on there. And like I said, you can follow me on um, Facebook and Instagram. Actually, I just started a blog. So but it's on my Instagram page, the name of it, because um, actually my daughter did it for me. So I don't have the name right here with me. If you email me the links, I can just have it below in the show notes, too. So that way. Okay. I think it's on, I believe it's on my Instagram Instagram page. It's the link is on there in the bio. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just want to thank you for, you know, having the strength and the ba- and the bravery, you know, because it's something you're sort of in there and you're like fighting the battle every day. And yet, even though you're in there fighting the battle every day, you still reach back to help others and to share your message and uh, have that glimpse of hope, even when you have a hard time seeing the light. So I just want to thank you for having the bravery to, you know, share your story. And I really help. It helps to bless and impact someone else's life today. And that God gives back to you what you've given to others. So thank you, gorgeous. Thank you so very much, Jasmine. It was lovely (laughs) meeting you. Yeah. And I I hope we keep in touch. Yes, I love it. Sisterhood of Queens, even at a CPR course, you never know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you never know. Yes, yes. Well, beautifuls, thanks for joining the gorgeous Nikki and I today at this week's Fitness Mimosas. Remember to keep life beautiful and to be your own definition of beautiful. I love you all so very much, and I hope you have a gorgeous day. Hi, gorgeous. If any part of this podcast made you go, yes, girl, yes, girl, yes, (laughs) please rate this podcast and leave a review below. This is a sisterhood, and the more we support each other, the more we get to stand together. To test out more booty building workouts, get your free six-day booty transformation guide at bombshellbuttlift.com. And in the words of Coco Chanel, you can be gorgeous at 30, charming at 40, and irresistible for the rest of your life. Love you. Have a beautiful day.